Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We're also proud members of the Biblical and Reformed Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. Well, hello and welcome everybody to the Locust and Honey podcast. My name is Andrew. And I'm Matt. And today we are continuing our series through the Pilgrim's po- Progress. Pilgrim's po- Progress. That's right. Um, and it's going to be good. It's going to be... It's true. It's episode 53, right? Episode... Fi- oh, I didn't say that. But yeah, it is episode 53, man. Man. That's so, three over 50. That's like literally an entire... Well, that's more than an entire year's worth. It is literally more every week. than an entire year's worth. Literally. Because it's one more. It's 52 weeks in a year. That's we true. are on 53 now. So Unless you have a leap week. Well, that's true, I guess. But I don't know that they have leap weeks. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> if they did. If they did, right though. Out of year. Right. Um, so, so we're excited. Yeah. The Wicked Gate um, is what we're going to be talking about today. Be good. Yes, it will. Be fun. Yes, it will. But, oh. But before Man. we get into all of that... We should affirm things and deny things. Yes. that is the very reformed thing to do. Mm-hmm. Do you we don't any? say, like, good things or bad things. We say uh, affirmations and denials. Or I deny that. Yeah. It's not like I agree. It's like I affirm. Yeah. But only if we affirm. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. Then we, if not, we deny. We deny. Yeah. So I've got a, I'm going to throw a curveball. Okay. In the denials. All right. But let's start with affirmations. Okay. You want to go first? Yes. Cool. So my affirmation comes from a a recent podcast episode that I listened to by um, Nine Marks. 
It's called Pastors Talk. And it's it's actually it's a really good podcast if you are curious and wanting to learn about the biblical way to lead a church. Um, it's very um, deep into ecclesiology. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Mm-hmm. I've heard it ecclesiology and ecclesiology, but just say it fast. Ecclesiology. Okay, there you go. Um, it's very deep into that, which is basically just the study of church governance, how. Um, the Bible prescribes different things to work in the church. And so this last episode, they were talking about creativity in church. Um, and they had a guy from Beautiful Eulogy on there. I can't remember Thomas. who it was. Thomas, yes. He is a pastor of a church as well. Beautiful Eulogy is like a Christian rap group, but they do like other stuff too. They sing and stuff too. It's not just straight rap, but it's re- they're really good. Anyway, they're talking about creativity in church and where does creativity has have its place in church. And so they, they were talking about things like, you know, cathedrals. They were talking about how um, architecturally creative should we be in building our church buildings. Um, and so I, we've actually done a whole podcast on that. But mm-hmm. um, one of the things that he uh, he said that, so I'm, I'm a worship leader at our church. And um, he was talking about, you know, the different aspects of leading worship and how we as a church culture today, as far as big evangelicalism, we are seeking after the wrong things. So as churches tend to grow and as they tend to get a bigger budget, what do they start to do with their money? Well, they start to invest in uh, spotlights and fog machines and a specific sound boards and systems and, and, and dark rooms so they can control the environment and like all of these different things. Um, because they think that that is going to be how they, uh, they make their worship experience better. Um, and one of the things that he was saying that I really liked, um, I guess really put words to kind of what I've been working through lately. He was saying we need less stage lights and more house lights. We need less instruments and more voices. Um, not that we need less instruments in that you got some people out there that are like, we only do acapella stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not what he was talking about. Instruments are good if you're playing them for the glory of God, but we need less focus on guitar solos right. and more focus on the voices of the congregation. We need less focus on the individuals on stage and more focus on the whole congregation because... As worship leaders, all we are doing is we are leading this mass body in worship. We're we're all singing to the Lord as one. Yeah. But we are we happen to be the ones who are essentially, um, oh, what's the word you use? You use this word when you were talking about what you're going to do at the marriage retreat, facilitating that. Mm-hmm. Right. We're 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 giving them the songs to sing so that we can have structure and we can worship the Lord together. Right. It's not just the worship leaders worshiping the Lord. <laughs> yeah. The Lord is not watching the worship leaders along with the rest of the congregation, yeah. you know? Um, and so I think what, it, what really hit home for me was, was like, we, our practice as big evangelicalism people, I mean, we're not big, big evil people, but like, as the church in America today, a lot of our practice says that we believe that though. We believe that God is in the audience Mm -hmm. and he is watching the worship leaders and he is allowing, you know, like 
the worship leader is almost leading God in worship. You know what I mean? Right. And like, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. And I think most people would say that's ridiculous, but that's what our practice is. That's what we're doing. And so I was like, man, that is, that's really cool. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, what I'm going to try and do with our church more is more congregational singing of Mm -hmm. hearing the voices. There's something powerful in just hearing everybody's voices when everything is stripped away. And the reason is because you're able to sing. It's about the words. You're able to sing the words. You're able to hear the words clearly. And you're able to affirm all of these words that you're singing to the Lord with your brothers and sisters in Christ in your congregation. Um, Anyway, that's my affirmation. It was really cool. It was a really good podcast. I think to kind of go off of that, and one thing that he said too was talking about like what's actually beautiful versus what's ugly. Right. And we have got it flipped around and things that would be ugly, we're calling beautiful. And so, um, like if you look at the average larger church, mm-hmm. they've got tons of lights and tons of fog machines and looks like a concert and all of that. And so, but they would be striving after that as being beautiful, right? you know, but if you look at what makes the church beautiful, it's that we are the reflected glory of God worshiping him. Right. And so when we're able to do that and strip away all of the distractions to God, that's actually more beautiful than if you've got the newest light set up and the newest backgrounds and right all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so it's it's allowing scripture to define what is beautiful. And how can we better emulate that? Mm-hmm. So I like it. Um, my affirmation is going to be, you kind of spilled the beans a little bit, but um, my affirmation is going to be marriage. We mm. affirm marriage between one husband and one wife. <laughs> and to further state the matter, right. <laughs> one male and one female. Yes. Um I'm leading a marriage retreat this weekend. Well, by the time they hear this, we'll probably... We'll be done. Well, we'll be back. Be on our way back. Yeah. So we're going Friday through Sunday, and I think it'll be a good time. I'm looking forward to it, looking forward to seeing what the Lord's going to do, um, and and just looking forward to getting to meet some of the people that are going that I don't have as deep of a relationship with. And so I think it'll be an uh, enjoyable time, but more so... Just praying the Lord gives us healthy, strong marriages in our church because that is the foundation of the church as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I affirm it. All right. Um, denials. Okay. You want me to throw my curveball first or you want to take a stab at yours? I'll do mine because mine's going to be kind of short. All right. Because it goes right off of what I was affirming kind of. All right. Um, Are so you denying things? Ugly church? No. Um, so there's been a, there's been an interesting thing going on at this college up in Virginia. I don't know if you've heard of it. Asbury? The Asbury Revival. I'm not going to sit and just deny the revival, right? Um, but what I am going to deny is what I think a lot of people take from that. Okay. which is that that is what is going to turn around the state of 
where we are as a church in our culture. Okay. You know, um, not that we don't need things like that. Not that we don't need mountaintop experiences, right? Now, this was, I've never seen something like this before. They stayed for four entire days constantly. I mean, that's, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to sit and, and I haven't actually thought through how helpful that is or if that's something that's gone on in church history. But, um, I think, I mean, I know it has, but like, right. Anyway, um, what has, what happens though, is that we uphold events like this as if we could just have more of that everywhere, then everything would be fixed. Right. Okay. If we could have more of uh, just revivals that last for days all over the place, everything will be fixed. And I think that partially that is true in that you do need those mountaintop experiences. You do need revivals. I'm not saying we don't need revivals. I'm not denying revivals. Okay. What I'm going to deny, though, is what, what... I, I, what I'm afraid might happen, which is that I think sometimes we see these things and we say, okay, I have got to go from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. Mm-hmm. And we as a nation have to go from mountaintop to mountaintop. And as a church, we need to go from mountaintop to mountaintop. We're chasing the experience instead of plodding through the valley. Yeah. When we need to be building our families, we need to be building our homes, we need to be catechizing our children, we need to be... Um, doing the mundane to the glory of of God and yes, allowing those ordinary means of grace to truly transform hearts, family trees, and subsequently the culture as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, We play the short game and don't think about the long game where if we play the long game, if you look at, if we as, if we take two or three generations worth of Christians and they raise their children up in the admonition of the Lord, what would it look like in a hundred years in this culture? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I'm, it's a little tricky one cause I'm not going to just deny revivals as something that we need or don't need. I'm not, we, we need with a mountaintop, but at the same time, we cannot forget to plod through the valley because that's really where the fruit comes, you okay. know? Anyway. So when you say revivals, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? So, um, really just. I don't know. In my head, I was thinking things that are, or people who are, say, stagnant in their faith, stagnant in their walk with Christ, uh, returning back to the passion to submit to his law. Okay. Um, Would you say that's what's happening up there? I don't know. And see, that's the thing. I don't really know that much about it. All I know is it's this big worship service that's gone on for four days. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, So that's what I'm saying. I don't know how healthy it is. I don't know if it is something that has happened in church history. I don't know if those things were healthy events. Right. You know, so I don't really know what to think about it, but I know what to think about how we see revivals and things like that. Yeah. You know? So, well, I'm going to piggyback because you basically stole. Oh, did mine. But um, I was going to ask your thoughts on the Asbury oh, revival. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I should have let you go. No, no. <laughs> but what I'm going to deny in all of this is I'm going to deny revivalism. 
Um, yeah. We've done a whole <clears throat> podcast episode, Revival versus Revivalism. And, um, and, and so I deny revivalism and I, okay, so I've not been up there. Um, I've seen a lot of different people posting about it, mm-hmm. but what I'm seeing is there's a lot of singing. There's a lot of praying, but there's no preaching of the word. Right. You know what I mean? And so when I look at what the Bible says revival is, so I would say in America, we need revival. Mm. And I think you would affirm that. Right. Um, so not anti-revival, but I am anti-revivalism. So like when a church schedules a revival to take place and then they have their their revival time and they're kind of, here's, here's the revival time we're going to, um, set this time aside and make sure that, you know, everybody knows this is the time that you really want to make any decisions for Christ. And you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. that whole, we're, we're, we're putting aside this time that's revivalism. You know, it's this, uh, time set aside and then we're going to really push for a high emotional response. And we want people's fervor to drive them until next year when we can have another revival. And, um, so you see things like rebaptism. You see things like you know um, people walking the aisles again, and walk the sawdust trail. Yeah, but uh, but so that all comes from. I mean, go back and listen to our revival versus revivalism to to have a better understanding of where we're coming from with that. But what I'm seeing in this, and and there's been subsequent colleges that have kind of broke out. I just saw a thing by Lee University. Um, has been going since they had like a two or three day worship mm-hmm. experience. Um, but it looks more to me like the second great awakening, which I, I would say harmed the American church more than it helped because it was this revivalism. Yeah. It was this manufactured um, build up and manufactured um, getting people to make an emotional response. Um, but what we would affirm is like what you're saying, the ordinary means of grace playing out in people's lives and the true strength that that builds in Mm -hmm. in the life of the person. And then subsequently in the life of that church body or the families connected to that body of believers. Yeah. When we sit under regular sound expositional preaching of the word, when we are being discipled, when we are fellowshipping together and communing together and doing the Lord's Supper together and having baptisms together, when we're doing those things, that grows us in our maturity, in our walk with Christ, and strengthens us. And then we're building these relationships with the people that we're worshiping together with on the Lord's Day and praying for them and encouraging them along the way and weeping when they weep and rejoicing when they rejoice and all of that. And so, so that's my denial in all of this is revivalism. And if what has been happening is revivalism, it's not going to help anything. Right. Uh, It's just an emotional response to singing. um, But it's not an emotional response to the preaching of the word. Mm-hmm. There's not been much of that. And what I'm finding, too, is when people are talking about it, um, you know, it's like nobody's in 
nobody's in charge. It's just spontaneously has happened and mm. is just continuing to go. And people are just, some people are singing, some people are giving testimony, people are praying. There's a lot of weeping. There's a lot of that stuff. But anytime we see a biblical revival, which is the heart being revived, that which was dead being made new, that comes because of the proclamation. <laughs> proclamation of the word um not from this <laughs> emotional <laughs> response to a song yeah so that's kind of my thoughts on that yeah yeah it's interesting i, I mean i haven't really because i think i haven't really looked into it i just know that there have been people <laughs> singing for four days yeah. and it's like man that is and and so intense like with that i'm I don't know any of the people involved. There, there right. could be people being transformed by the truth of the gospel, mm-hmm. and if that's the case, that's awesome. Right. Um, but time will tell. Um, right. But like what you said, those kinds of things, or scheduled revivals, or whatever, you, those things will not help push the culture. It's not going to um, swing the pendulum. Right. What will swing the pendulum is when we get into the word and Romans 12, be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds through our time spent with Christ in the word mm. that will shift the culture because that transforms us. And then we go out as little Christ into the community that he's placed us and into our families and raise up more little Christs to have the same passion and desires and all of that, you know, yeah. so. Uh, Which little Christ is what Christian means, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So Wicket Gate. One thing that I will say uh, as we're diving off into the Pilgrim's Progress, I have had three people this week that have talked to me and said that they really enjoyed our walk through this. And, mm-hmm. uh, three people that I know that have picked up a copy of Pilgrim's Progress this week and started reading it. Yeah. So I think that's cool. Um, it is a helpful book. If you're still on the fence, here's your sign. Go get it. That's right. You'll enjoy it. So last week we were talking about the city of destruction and Pilgrim leaves the city of destruction, headed for the wicket gate. And then he runs into the swamp of despair or mm-hmm. the slough of despond, as like they said. And um, as he's there, he gets weighed down. Where we left off last week, help has just pulled Christian from the slough of despond. That's right. So let's pick up there. All right. Next thing we see, yes, he meets a guy. He meets a guy. What's his name? Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Oh, Worldly Wise Man. Oh, Worldly Wise Man. And what does he tell him to do? Well, he says that he needs to go to the city of morality in order to get his burden removed from his back and find a guy named... Sorry, I'm trying to find it. You're doing a lot of breathing over there. Well, yeah... Yep, 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 yep. Mr. Um, Mr. Legality. Legality and is his son civility? 
Is yeah. that what it says? But we don't care about a son. Oh, yeah, no, that's just where my eyes went. I said civility, and I was like, I know that's not him. Anyway, yes, Mr. Legality, that's yep. where he goes. Or that's so where he wants him. Mr. Legality, worldly wise men tells Christian, is very skilled at removing burdens yes. from people. He just has to go to the city of morality and find him. So he decides to listen to worldly wise men, and he goes to the city of legality, starts the trek, and then he figures out that the city of morality is up on this super tall mountain, mm -hmm. and it's a very treacher treacherous trip to get up there. Um, very steep. Very steep. Lots of boulders. Boulders and fire shooting out. Um, he's scared he's going to fall off. He's scared he's going to get burned. And um, so kind of what really stuck out to me was um, later evangelist tells Christian three things about worldly wise men. First, he says that he has turned Christian on the wrong path because as he's there— um, evangelist shows back up and he asks him, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. You know? Right. Um, but so the three warnings he gives him about worldly wise men, he turned Christian on the wrong path. Uh, the second thing is that worldly wise men makes the cross odious to bear. And the third thing is he leads to a way ultimately of death. And, um, I think that's a pretty good example of his time spent following and listening to worldly wise men. So let's kind of break this all down for a minute right? before we go through. So worldly wise men, who would he be? So he would be kind of like the TED Talk people. Yeah, I was you know? going to say like the self-help on yeah. YouTube or Instagram and all of that. Mm -hmm. Like this is, okay, you've got a problem in your life. You just need more, you need more inspiration. You need more drive. Yeah. You know, we're here to provide you with more drive. Um, mm -hmm. And um, and then once you have that drive, you'll be able to accomplish everything you want to accomplish and you won't feel the way you feel. If you just get in shape, you'll mm -hmm. not be depressed anymore. If you yeah. just... You know, yeah. If you want to control your mental health and have well-being, then do yoga, right? Eat better, and be adjust your crystals in business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But yeah, so worldly wiseman's giving this advice, and he's saying, "Oh, you're you, you want to get this weight off your back? I know a guy. His name's Mister Legality." And um, ultimately, what evangelist tells him, one. That's you're going down the wrong path. You're wasting your time. And that path does not lead to the wicked gate. It does not lead to uh, the celestial city, but it ultimately leads to death. And if you listen to worldly wisely um, or wise men, <laughs> it will make the cross odious to bear. Right. What does odious mean? Um, it's not just Garfield's buddy. No, that's right. Um, I would say odious means like unnecessary and like, like, why am I doing this? Too much work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
it weighs you down even more so. Right. Um, and, and, and so, yeah. So with, with all of this, that that's what we're, we're talking about works here. And a lot of people when, so we're considering Christians journey up to this point. He's read the truth. He's realized that what the Bible says is true. He's realized that he's living in the city of destruction and he has to get out. And he started to pursue that and he gets to the swamp of despair and um, is helped out of the swamp of despair by help. And then comes in contact with worldly wise men and he starts heaping up all of these rules, all mm-hmm. of these. Think of the Pharisees. Right. You know, think of um, when you go, somebody gets saved uh, somebody comes to faith in Christ, somebody starts showing up to church, uh, and they, they start to listen and want to grow. And then everybody's like, okay, now, you know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You have to wear this. You can't wear that. You can't right. do, you know, they just, here's all of the, the legalism, mm-hmm. you know? And, and basically what that leads to is a works-based salvation, mm-hmm. which evangelists is correct to point out ultimately leads to death. Right. We can't save ourselves. We can't do good enough. So when you have people that are trying to earn their salvation by the way that they act, they, they're either going to fool themselves into thinking that they're more holy than they are or two they're just going to start to pile more weight on their back. Right. You know, because Christian still has the burden of sin that he's carrying around. But worldly wise men just starts to add even more weight to it. And Mm -hmm. um, now you've got to go on this harder trail that's steeper and more dangerous, and you've got to just, in your own strength, push through, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But that, ultimately, Mr. Legality is not better or even capable of removing the burden and uh so so that's a false pretense to start with and secondly what he's doing is is taking christian from the right path to christ right to the wicked gate and to the city of the celestial city and he's putting him on a different path Mm -hmm. that's going to kill him so yeah How would you speak to that? Just um, legalism well, in the American church today. Well, and ultimately, you know, what legalism is, too, is it's a pure just lack of faith. Like, I've got to control my own. I've got to be in control of my own salvation. I'm the one who's got to, you know, make sure that that I've done enough to be able to ultimately be justified, right? So... Um, not only is it a showing of arrogance of the idea that we can be holy enough to stand before a holy God in our own works, you know, but it's also a lack of faith in the finished work of Christ of mm-hmm. like, oh, so you're telling me that all I have to do is repent and believe and then rest in Christ and abide in him. Right. Well, I don't want to do that because now I'm not in control. Christ is in control, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think, the legality is not just conservative, you know? Right. Um, I think a lot of people think of legalism and 
Well, at least the, I don't know. I don't know what people think around the country, but I know down here people think about like, you know, just like the, the Southern, like, you know, Southern Baptist church, or maybe even like a Southern, like Pentecostal church where they've got long hair, they have to wear long dresses or like a Southern Baptist church where like, you know, you got to wear this specific thing, you know, on Sunday morning, if you don't like you're ostracized because you're not like holy enough and all mm-hmm. this stuff where you got to, and, and that's where people's mind goes. But then you look at like wokeism, you know, and you will look at progressive church. Well, okay. Now all of a sudden I've got to repent of sins that I didn't commit. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to carry the burden of being white Right. As if that's a sin that I committed or I've got to carry the burden. If I'm say a white person of the sins of people who lived 150, 200 years ago because of the fact that they mistreated, you know, African-Americans or other minorities who were in the country at the time as slaves. Mm -hmm. Those sins were not sins that I committed. Right. Right. And so, what it's doing is, is it's adding to the burden. And so it's not just the, the pastors who go out there and they say, well, if you come into my church, you better be wearing a suit and tie. It's also the pastors who go and they say, okay, you need to repent. You need to turn to Christ, but then also you need to deny, you know, do these other and do these other things in order to actually be right with the Lord. Yeah. Um, that more so had to do with the cultural social justice thing that we see going on today. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I'd say it's at today in my mind, but then also I'd say it ultimately is a lack of faith in the finished work of Christ. Yeah. You know, and it's Phariseeism, right? That's what Jesus butted heads with the Pharisees over time and time again. It's this outward washing, this outward cleansing to appear a certain way, but the inside is still full of death. It's right. whitewashed tombs. And so if if that's you, the answer is not you doing more. The answer is allowing Christ to bear the burden that only he can bear. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately what evangelist helps Christian to see and get to is listen, you're wasting your time out here. This is just making everything a lot harder on you and it's distracting you from the path that you should be on, Mm. which is following Christ because he's the only one that can alleviate the weight that's on you. Right. And so, sorry, with that, uh, Evangelist helps Christian get back on the path and he ends up getting to the wicket gate. Um, interesting things about the wicket gate is one, when he gets there, there's a sign above the gate and it says knock and it shall be open to you. And so he knocks and goodwill pops his head out mm-hmm. and he says, how can I help you? He said, I would like to enter the wicket gate. May I? He says, absolutely, you can. And then he's pulled through the wicket gate by goodwill. Um, That's interesting for a couple reasons. One, the wicket gate is right next to and kind of butts up to Beelzebub's castle. And Beelzebub is shooting arrows at the wicket gate of those trying to go in. Mm -hmm. And, um, And so he is doesn't enter on his own, but 
goodwill pulls him through the gate. And thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, you know, when... So when the Lord draws someone to himself, you know, <clears throat> that... So Beelzebub, like Satan, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't want that. <laughs> He's going to be trying to like shoot yeah. arrows at that and ultimately take that person down yeah. before they enter the wicked gate. Now, the wicked gate, we were kind of discussing this a little bit before, um, but the when someone enters the wicked gate, the reason why that's so important is because once you enter through the wicked gate, there's no... There's no going out of the wicked gate, right? So if we, we were talking about before of like, if we are uh, talking about the wicked gate as, you know, when Jesus says, I am the door, right? I am the gate. Everyone enters through me and by me. No one comes to the father except through me. And if someone comes in from outside the the gate, right? Mm-hmm. Someone jumps over the walls. They're a thief. They're a robber. They're, you know, they're not actually in the fold and they will be sifted out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so if we are, when we enter through the wicked gate, if we've gone from death to life at that point, if our heart of stone is turned into a heart of flesh, there's no, there's no leaving that. So once you go through the wicked gate, like, you've been stamped, you've been sealed as the Lord's. Yeah. You know? Um, And I think too, um, just some interesting stuff coming from um, Bunyan and his life. So he was kind of this, he, he got in trouble when he was kind of a young adult for his mouth and his attitude and all that stuff. And was chastised and kind of reprimanded for some of the way he was acting. And that really bothered him. Somebody somebody told him that he's going to go to hell if he didn't change his way he acted. And so that that bothered him. And so once he got married, he ended up going to church and really pursuing Christ and listening and all of that and feeling this conviction and about a year and a half into him seeking after the Lord and going to church and being invested, he was still really struggling with his wickedness. So one of the things that he liked to do was go to the church and listen to the church bells ring. Mm -hmm. And he would go in and sit there and just listen and be in admiration of all of that. But he found himself during that year and a half, not wanting to go as much and listen like he used to because he was scared. What if one of the church bells comes unhinged and falls on me and kills me? (laughs) That would be, you know, there became this fear of God Mm -hmm. and fear of God's judgment because now he knew his sin and he knew that he was continuing to sin and there was not fellowship with the Lord, but there was this kind of like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden because of their sin, um, that feeling of being exposed. And so that's kind of where Christian is at between the, the swamp of despair 
and getting into the wicket gate. That whole time through the city of morality and that journey to meet Mr. Legality, it was just this weight of, I feel that, you know, mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time sharing the gospel with Muslims, um, in Iraq and in Thailand, going to the mosques there in Amsterdam, um, and then just locally. But one thing that when you actually get somebody just to talk to you, kind of put down the walls, there's this feeling of weight because Islam, you've got the the scales of morality, you know, right. is the things that I do good outweighing the things that I'm doing that are bad. And if not, then there are some things that I can do to help, like the Hajj and tithing and things like that, uh, saying my prayers five times a day. You know, mm-hmm. th- there's these things that I can do that help weight the scales for good, but ultimately, you know, it, it, it it's this weight. And so what... What I, one conversation that I had with a guy that was in a, a university in Iraq, um, we were just talking. We went to a little tea shop thing, and we're talking about it all. And I said, listen, you know, I, I thoroughly respect you because of your devotion, but ultimately the reason that I would be a Christian and not a Muslim is because I know my wickedness. Like when I'm laying in bed alone, I know my heart and I know that I can't do enough good to earn Mm -hmm. salvation. And, and that's what draws me to Christ is he's done it all. Christ is the one that has paid the price and all I'm doing is resting in the work that he's done. Apart mm-hmm. from that, I couldn't have salvation. Nobody could. And so, um, but that's kind of, of of what Christian's going through when he meets Mr. Legality is, okay, here's your skill set. Now start weighing everything you're doing versus what's good and what's bad. And, um, and, and you need to have the good outweigh the bad. Right. But that's not the Christian walk. You can't get into heaven with one drop of sin. You have to be completely pure. Mm-hmm. And that's what going through the wicked gate is. It's going through Christ and his atoning work on the cross, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> but then interestingly enough as well, as he's getting out of the the city of morality and he's approaching the wicket gate and he sees Beelzebub's castle and then Beelzebub is firing these arrows at him and he's pulled through by goodwill. Um, you've got that spiritual warfare right. that's going on because we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spirits. And, um, and so there's also this satanic attack that's happening as he's figuring out the truth of the gospel. But, um, but while that's happening, the Lord has put people like Goodwill to pull him along and pull him through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, we've seen three already where you've got evangelists, you've got help, and you've got Goodwill. And these are men that the Lord has strategically placed 
in uh, Christian's life on this journey yeah. and in times to continue to help him. And uh, so I think it's interesting. Uh, and then you've got knock and it shall be opened unto you. And, and that strikes me too because you've got this call to knock and it will be open. But why is everybody in the city of destruction not there knocking on the door? Right. You know, um, why is it that Christian is there alone when there's this whole city of people that are also in a city of destruction and they also have weight on their back? Mm-hmm. And ultimately the answer is because they didn't have eyes to see and ears to hear, mm-hmm. you know? Um, what he read completely changed his desires. He saw it to be true and he had to pursue that, you know? And, and so, you know, he can look back and he can, I, I, I like what Spurgeon said. Um, Spurgeon said, when I was coming to faith in Christ, um, here kind of the way that it went is I decided one day to go to church. And so I went. And then after doing that for a little bit, I decided to listen to what the pastor was saying. And um, and so I did. And then after listening, I decided to give my life to Christ. And so I did. But now looking back on it, Spurgeon said, it wasn't me, but Christ drawing me. Uh, Christ gave me the desire to go to church. And then after going, Christ gave me ears to hear and see, eyes to see. And, and then Christ gave me a heart to believe, mm-hmm. you know? So all these things that I was doing and pursuing when I look back on it, it wasn't me pursuing him, but ultimately him pursuing me. Right. And, and I think that's what you see here because you've got all of these people that are in that city of destruction but all of them are still blind. Or you've got people like Pliable that started off, you know, but Pliable didn't have the weight on his back because he didn't have the conviction of sin, and so he's easily able to get out of the swamp, Mm -hmm. and then he goes back to the city. um, Right. Because he didn't realize the weight that was on his back, Mm -hmm. and uh, it wasn't weighing him down like it was Christian because Christian not only read the truth, but that truth... You know, the, the the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but not everybody that reads the gospel gets saved. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, those that have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to believe are the ones that get saved. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that pursue Christ. So out of all of those people, those that pursue Christ, the door will be open to the wicked gate to anybody who knocks. But why is everybody not knocking? And right. It's ultimately because they don't have eyes to see him. You know, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice and they will follow me. You know, um, the people that aren't following him aren't his sheep. Right. You know, they're following, they're following their master, which is Beelzebub, you know, um, and, and they're happy and they're content where they're at because they have a heart of stone. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, it's just cool to see how, God has been pursuing Christian this whole time and it's still hard and he's still making choices and he's still struggling and he's still falling and failing and all of that stuff. But God is strategically along the way, putting the right people in his life to help him get over those hurdles to get to the next stage of the journey. Um, And as we'll ultimately see 
you know, to get to the celestial city, mm -hmm. you know, uh, he's persevering on this journey, not in his own strength, not because of his own works that he's doing, but because, um, he's doing it in, in the Lord's strength and with the Lord's help right. all along the way, you know, yeah. even though Beelzebub is pursuing him and trying to, you know, shoot these arrows, um, then you've got goodwill that comes and pulls him through the gate. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's good. Uh, I think it's encouraging for us as believers that are on this journey to follow Christ. When we feel discouraged, when we feel uh, inadequate, none of it is based on us. It's mm -hmm. not based on how hard we try. It's not based on how good we do. It's not based on any of that. It's all based on the blood of Christ, you know, right. and that's already been accomplished. That sacrifice was worthy and it was accepted. Mm -hmm. And so once we go through that wicked gate and um and and the blood of Christ covers us when we stand before the Father there's not an ounce of sin on us because we've been purified. Right. Not of ourselves or what we could do but because of Christ and what he's already done. Mm -hmm. So I think it's cool. Yeah. So now we have Christian through the wicked gate and he is now saved. Um, next week, we're bypassing the, um, what is it, the interpreter house? Interpreter's house. We're bypassing that because we've already done an episode covering that. And we will go uh, start next week with the cross and the sepulcher. Yep. And we will look at the question, is he actually saved <laughs> once he gets into the wicked gate? Yeah. Um, because he's still got his burden. Right. His back. Once he gets through the wicket gate, he's still got his burden. And he still meets some people on the way to the cross and the sepulcher that are jumping over the fence of the wicket fence. Mm -hmm. They didn't go through the gate. And we're going to see what happens to them. Um, then we'll look at the cross and the sepulcher. This is a really, um, probably one of my favorite parts in Pilgrim's Progress. Mm -hmm. It's when he comes before the Lord and actually gets that burden removed. Right. So, uh, we'll look at that. We'll talk about it and um, hope that you are all enjoying this and that it is helpful for you as you read the story and then just look at your own walk with Christ. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, the reason we're doing it is we want this to be an encouragement for you in your walk with Christ to continue to pursue him and continue to allow him to carry the weight because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Mm -hmm. If we try to do it on our own, um, we're just like Mr. Legality and Worldly Wiseman and that way ultimately leads to death yep. so we love you guys have a good Lord's Day and we will see you next week as we look at the cross and the sepulcher that we will bye bye mm, bye bye adios yes hasta awesome.